Dipsomania is a podcast about booze and cocktail culture. I'm Jake, and in this episode, Lance and I talk about the resurgent classic occupying the space between the Manhattan and the Negroni, the Boulevardier. We also talk about the world's 50 best bars list and deal with some nearby jet traffic. Enjoy. Hello. There he is. How are you? I am fine. I hi hi. <laughs> uh, I I say I'm fine. I'm on I'm on a jury, which I've never been on a jury before. Oh, so we can't talk about it. No, but we can drink about it. All right, cheers. Cheers. Mmm. So we're drinking Boulevardiers today, Ooh. which are delicious. They are. I always forget this drink. I don't. It isn't in my repertoire, um, and I don't know why. Because it is a delicious, and it's a, a nice alternative. Although, why you'd want an alternative to a Negroni, I don't know. But it is a, another one. Well, and it's delightful. Yeah, I consider it a bridge between the Negroni and the Manhattan. Basically, it is exactly that. <clears throat> it is. It is. And I noticed uh, that you're using you're using Punta Mes in yours. I am. I have never done that. Oh, it's delicious. Does it? What does it add? So Punta Mess is a uh, fairly strong flavored vermouth, and it's got some bitter edge to it. Uh, I forget what the bittering agent is, whether it's, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> it may We're be. Not profes- we are not professionals. <laughs> I've known at certain points in my life, but today I don't. But yeah, so a little bit of bitter back touch, which complements the... Campari, and uh, but it's also a big, bold vermouth, sort of like uh, Antica or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which, by the by, is what I am using. Mm-hmm. And also, this is a rye boulevardier. Excellent. The Templeton rye, uh, the Antica, and then just Campari. I usually, like, I, I guess I could have used um, Grand Classico. Yeah, sure. That would have uh, been kind of weird. I think Maybe that would I'll be a different next. drink, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I used the uh, Jim Beam Bonded, which, uh-huh. is, which is actually quite tasty. A nice, high-proof, uh, well-priced bourbon. I need to temper my drinking because this is the difference. At least the recipe that I am using is rather than one-to-one-to-one, mm-hmm. it's an ounce and a half of the whiskey. Yeah, extra half ounce of the whiskey. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually did so three-quarter Campari, three-quarter Puntimus. And then uh ounce and a half of whiskey. <laughs> so I've got a full ounce of the other two. Uh it's again and it's a lovely drink to look at. Uh it's that you know, Campari always adds that ruby beauty and then with the Antica, which is also tends toward the red. Mm-hmm. Um and then you've got whiskey, which has that lovely amber color, so all together, and then I used an orange peel. To just complete the whole bouquet. Which is very nice. Also recommended is a Luxardo cherry or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Make a fancy little garnish for yourself. Like wrap the cherries in the thing. Absolutely. Then, yeah. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. I just have a giant rock of ice in mine. So that kind mm. of makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, the for me, the orange peel is um, the aroma. Mm-hmm. I don't think it adds anything else. Well, prettiness. Sure. Because <laughs> oranges are pretty. 
Uh, what have you been up to, Jake? Oh, stuff and junk. Um, it's mm. it's my twelfth uh, wedding anniversary today. Congratulations! Thank you. Very Even much. dozen. Even dozen. Making it that far, I think, is amazing. <laughs> well, and that's wedding anniversary. We've actually been together for twenty-one years. Even smarter. So, yep. Seeing if it's going to work and then getting married. I definitely advocate for a good test drive before <laughs> you commit to anything. <laughs> yeah, never made it that far. Didn't even. I've never even lived with anyone else. Oh no. I know how terrible I am. I don't. Know. And I wouldn't uh, <clears throat> subject anyone to the, except a cat. <laughs> and then the cat, because the cat could give a shit, right? Right. And the other person, you, you're 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 trying your. This is at least how my relationships go. Trying your hardest to make them happy, and I and I tend to not spend that much time on myself, and then I forget. Oh, I'm supposed to be happy too. Yeah, it's really important that you take care of yourself. It is. It's a lesson you should learn early in your life. Those mm-hmm. who are early in your lives, uh, and also this week here, and I just want to warn listeners at home and Jake as well that we are in Fleet Week. Here in San Francisco, uh, and this is Fleet Weekend. Uh-huh. So starting Thursday and through today, um, from around two p.m. to around four p.m., we've got the Blue Angels screaming <laughs> overhead, and they uh, delight in frightening us and teaching us. Uh, you know, I guess this is what it's like in Afghanistan or something. Oh, sure, because um, they. They dive along the streets between the buildings. You know, they're they're showing off. It's, they are wanting to. They do. really fly between the buildings. Yes, they and they go under the bridge and all that stuff. And oh, have mercy. They get very close and and more importantly, they get very loud. So if you yes. do hear anything, uh, they just actually passed overhead right before we started recording. So hopefully, they're they're over the bay now and not right. here over my neighborhood. We'll get a bit. Oh wait. A... Oh. Hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, so there will there there may occasionally be, and this is I I have my windows closed. Mm. They are they are extremely loud. I don't know if you've ever been to an air show where 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 our Blue Angels have been. I actually have. I used to uh, see the Blue Angels as well as the Thunderbirds from the Air Force quite often when I was a child. Oh, because you've got the uh, academy up there, don't you? Well, it, it wasn't in Colorado. It was when I uh, lived in Florida, up in yeah. the panhandle of Florida. Um, Eglin Air Force Base is there, and there's also like a Navy base there. And we saw all sorts of things all the time. The beach that my grandparents took me to was the Air Force Officers Club. So all kinds of military presence in Pensacola in that area. I, I would guess so. And then otherwise, this week, I've actually... Uh... I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I'm on jury duty, so I, ha- I haven't been for I don't even know why this has anything to do with it, but I haven't been drinking as as because uh, you got to stay not, on your game and keep your judgment I, intact. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not a lush, I don't think, <laughs> but I and, and uh, I cannot talk about the case, but not drinking is probably apropos in, in my circumstances. I'll just say that. Interesting. Um, um isn't the courthouse in a part of town you don't usually frequent? It, it the there we have two courthouses, uh, and I'm going to the Hall of Justice, which is down on Bryant, 
which is it's a bit seedy as you would imagine. Uh-huh. The, the jail is adjacent, and then there sure. are a lot of bail bondsmen around there. <laughs> nice. On the plus side, if I walk uh, three blocks to the east, I'm at Hotel Utah, which has some of the, if not the best, uh, chicken wings in the city, uh, as well as several things on tap and you know a full bar. Excellent. Which I I guess you would classify it as a dive bar. Sure. Um, but as a dive bar, like they have amazing uh, cheeseburgers and their French fries are really good too. Excellent. They do whatever the however you get them crispy on the outside and just like steamy, delightful on the inside. Probably and... the double fry, like you do one temperature to cook through and then a higher temperature to crisp up the outside. And I also think they're not frozen. I think they they cut they the, actually I, hand I, cut them. Yeah, we're in San Francisco. You can't you can't get away with frozen here. You you won't last even yeah. at the Hotel Utah. And I shouldn't say even at the. It's yeah. a great place. <laughs> I recommend it. You should go. Well, that was my question. Like, does going to a different part of town that you don't usually hang out in get, afford you the opportunity to stop into new places, or at least places you don't usually get to spend time in? There are. Uh, because it's it's also ballpark adjacent, so okay. there are plenty of places uh, set up, obviously, to, to keep you well-oiled. Uh, and the Giants the are in the playoffs, aren't they? We 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 are. We were a wild card. I, I am not, as you would imagine, Mr. Sports Guy, but <laughs> I'm surrounded yeah. by yeah. sports people. So, yes, we, uh, we are, were a wild card. And then uh, our... Tagline is Believen, spelled B E L I E V E N. Because apparently we always do well on the even years. Okay. Like when we've won the, the series or gotten sure. into the series, it's always the even years. So and it's also a callback to the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. Believing. Yes. <laughs> so it's on, it's it's everywhere around here. And, and uh, there's mucho excitement. Uh, we. I've, I've actually never lived in a city that has this much. Like we had the Super Bowl, we've been in the World Series, we've got the Warriors. Warriors. <laughs> you have you have to say that, don't you? Yes. So it, it's like it's year round here. You really can't avoid it, which is weird. You wouldn't think San Francisco. At least I would think that if you don't live here, we're like some you know liberal asshole bastion of right. uh, hipsters who would. Sports, yeah, but no, it's it is huge here, and you cannot go into a bar. Uh, you, you need to seek out the TV list bars, right? At this time, right? Almost at any time of year. Uh, and the 49ers like moved way out of town, didn't they? Yeah, the uh, the the Levi's Stadium is down in Santa Clara, which is fifty miles to the south of the city. Seems I mean, like they, a rude thing to do to your fan it, base. Well, it was one of those. How much is a city willing to invest to build a new stadium? And San Francisco was kind of like, no, we're not. We're not going to give you a billion dollars because yeah. you make a billion dollars. So, and we have people like Twitter giving us a billion dollars. Yeah, we don't really. Ha- <laughs> well, actually, no. Because no, that's they, they had to give up a lot of taxes to get those companies to stay in the city. That's true. Yeah. Which is another sore point. So Santa Clara, which apparently doesn't. I've never been there, but I don't know that there's anything else there. Said, yeah, sure. We, we And then they use the stadium for concerts and other things. And yeah. supposedly it's state-of-the-art with giant screens and everything. But to get to 
a, a game now. You either have to drive 50 miles through Bay Area traffic and pay, I think, I, I could be lying, uh, which I often do, but I think to park is like $100. Oh, my Lord. To, just to park, and then you've got tickets and whatever. I mean, they have to pay for this billion-dollar stadium. Yeah. So that's how they're doing it. That's incredible. If you don't do that, then you have to take a train down yeah and then you're packed in with everybody who didn't want to drive in a quote-unquote air-conditioned train and everybody's obviously either already drunk or staring at their phone and ugh, just, yeah. Ugh, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Sounds anyway, horrible. Sports. it's it's great well anyway speaking of like being in different parts of town than you usually are uh two fridays ago i went to a tech conference in denver proper instead of boulder where i work in my day to day. Yep. And, uh, what I did is I parked my car sort of at a friend's place and then had a long walk to the conference, which was actually in the Denver art museum, which was really kind of cool. And, uh, so I had like a two and a half mile walk from my car to the place and then back at the end of the day. Yep. So at the end of the day, I stopped into uh, one of my favorite bars in Denver that I never go to because it's downtown. Like, but it's one of your favorite bars. How can you never go to it? Because it's downtown. That's not... No, no, no. no, no. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you never go to it, how is it one of your favorite bars? Because I've been to it twice, and I've been super, super impressed both okay, times. That, so, so my version would be ABV. It's the same thing. It's down in the Mission. I don't generally like going down to the Mission, but I've been there a couple times. It, it's, it, it is as well i understand okay so go on with your story sorry oh so anyway it's a place called union lodge number one and it's in downtown denver sort of where the financial types hang out and like all that and it's really great (laughs) what did you do you remember what you had that was great oh i wish i tweeted about it i don't remember it's uh it's a really old drink and i can't remember the name (laughs) there's there's lots of those jake but i know know, but like if there, we don't talk about it, it'll occur to you. That's how the brain works. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have to dig it up put it, from my... put it in the put it in the back of your head, <laughs> let it let it simmer, and then it'll pop out on your tongue at some point. But that's the beauty of their menu. They have like a really uh, their menu is like a little book. So mm-hmm. and the, it'll have like one or two drinks per page with nice illustrations and a little bit of history of each drink and stuff like that. It's really well done. This one was, I think, on the same page with, say, a Sazerac or something like that. It was a whiskey drink. But not the one we're having today. Not the one we're having today. And it was great. And I got to say hi to one of the owners, Alex, who is you know, friends with me on Facebook. So he recognized me and was like, do we know each other? That kind of situation. <laughs> do I know you? I, I Actually, I, I need you to sell me a little bit on Denver. I was having a discussion in one of my slacks, and someone else had to go to, had to, got to go to Denver, and had no idea what to do there or where to go. So if you were to meet someone at the, probably not at the airport, because it's a million, also a million, it's like, like the giant stadium for us, but you met them at their hotel, they're in Denver. Where would you go? If I was meeting someone in Denver, it, it sort of depends on where they are because Denver's really sort of spread out. I would want to take them either to the area around Union Station, the train station, mm-hmm. um, which the station itself has been redone and has lots of really nice restaurants just built into it. 
and then the surrounding area has lots of cool stuff. And then where I spend every weekend is a neighborhood called Rhino, which is cute. Uh, it's River North, and uh, it used to be called, well, it used to be part of the neighborhood called Five Points, which is re- really has been the ghetto of, of Denver for the longest time. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole gentrification thing is happening full steam in Denver. But that's where I spend my time, and that's where all my favorite places are. Okay. And there's there are a couple different streets. You can just walk down and go from restaurant to bar to restaurant to bar and have a good time. Yeah, I haven't been to I, my. I used to work for a company that was headquartered in Denver, and their offices were downtown on a block that was sort of a pedestrian mall yeah the sixth street 16th street mall which and is th- really shitty these days we have homeless people fighting with pvc pipes and stuff like that it's weird oh <laughs> <laughs> that's, well that's interesting uh yeah wow i'm gonna go grab my laptop and we'll uh reconnect all right i might make another drink Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I am just gulping. Like I said, it's it's good, and I haven't been drinking, so I'm catching up. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'll switch computers and dial All right. See you in a moment. All right. Okay. How's that? It's much better, and I can see you. You were so dark before. Yeah, I know. Now you look great. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing my lumberjack flannel. Cheers. Cheers. Mine's going to be weird. Well, mine's wonderful. Well, mine is too, but I... Uh, so mine, I was digging through my fridge, which is filled with lots of bottles. Yep. So I used the Grand Classico, as I said I would. Uh-huh. And I found a bottle of Coqui Rosa. Oh, neat. So, yeah. So it's it is uh, Michter's, uh, nice bourbon choice. and Coqui Rosa and Grand Classico. So I don't know if it even counts as a Boulevardier since I'm like all over the map here, but it's delightful. Well, okay, so I want to touch on that. Um, mine is Bullet Rye and Campari and Bonal. Oh, which is another oh. sort of bitter fortified wine. Yeah. And it's delightful. But I want to talk about, um, you know, this sort of substitution thing that we always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent you the link already, but uh, I've been listening to The Speakeasy, which is a podcast from Heritage Radio Network in Brooklyn. And it's hosted by Damon Bolte and Souther Teague, who are big time bartenders in New York City. Mm-hmm. Do you know where they bartend? Uh, Damon owns a place called Grand Army, and Souther is from Amori Margo. Okay. Um, as well as other places. He also comes from a cooking background, like culinary. Mm-hmm. So he's also got that sort of aspect. And they're good foils for each other. The, the show used to just be hosted by Damon. Damon, <laughs> Damon's got an interesting personality. He's He's sometimes a little too like hyperactive puppy <laughs> to like excitable yeah to to do good interviews but he's always very knowledgeable he just can't always communicate it because 
Either yep. he's it's... too excited or he's just sort of st- stuck on words or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Souther, by contrast, is also extremely knowledgeable, but he's very um, well-spoken, I guess. Is... Erudite? Yeah, shit, yes. So he's he's a good addition to the team and just lots of fun to hear them talk yes. to people. You did introduce me to that today. I, I listened to a couple of the most recent episodes, and it made me buy a book, which is never a bad thing. Right. Because it was actually a subject that I'm curious about, which was the rebirth of the cocktail culture and how that occurred. And they did bring up an interesting point that, that, that didn't, it didn't occur to me until they said it, which it should have, I guess. And specifically, as it relates to my own experiences at Bourbon and Branch, which was... Uh, there was a re-educational process that had to take place with the clientele. Right. So, so you walk into a bar and you expect it to be like every every bar you ever walked into, which is to say not necessarily a bad experience, but not a special experience either. Right. And uh, you you know you order the the, the current uh, popular drink being the Cosmo or the Mojito or whatever. What you know? Yeah. They, they, there were these weird cycles where suddenly everybody oh. Let's all make mojitos. Um, well, it was and, it was also the time when you know you would go in and ask for a specific brand. You would ask for an absolute soda. You would ask for a Bombay Sapphire Martini. Right. And I don't feel like that's so much the case anymore. Like I agree, they they definitely still ask, but now I'm relying on them to tell me what works best in the drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how it but how it uh, pertains to my experiences particularly with bourbon and branch was that and i and because i was a client walking in and probably because i was expecting it to when you walk into a bar you tend to want them to do what you tell them to do right (laughs) and and it was flipped at bourbon and branch in that you had to have a reservation to get in once you were inside you were expected to be not solemn but certainly respectful i guess Mm -hmm. and uh, and they were also like you had to sit down. You couldn't linger at the bar. You couldn't wander around. Um, but at, but the, and the way that they enforced that seemed to be as a, as a customer who didn't know what was going on, passive aggressive. Like you, we're you, like do we deign to allow you in here? <laughs> you are going to follow our rules, and whether you have a good time or not is not our concern. Right, but. But what really was going on, and they can't obviously instruct you in this, is we're going to serve you really great drinks. It's going to take a while for you to get them. We expect you to have a good time, have a conversation with your friends, have a conversation with our bartenders. But this is this is that's how this works. Yeah. So it's it was kind of interesting in retrospect to think, oh, now I know how that. Yeah, now I know how that works when I go into specific types of bars mm-hmm. i do have different experiences and i do have different sets of expectations and i don't judge all bars the same anymore or are all, all bartenders either and that's because you've been trained that's through, because through experience. I, was, I was paper trained i was swatted on the nose enough times to to tell me no you will enjoy this believe me but <laughs> this is not what you're used to so it's it's going to be you're, you're going to have a little like you need to conform to some things in order for you to appreciate and enjoy it. And we're not going to conform to you because then you're having the same experience that you've always had. How much do you think 
uh, home bartending has influenced that acceptance as well. I think we are special cases. I, um, I do too, but d- just you and I talking. Like, uh, yeah. How much has your foray into mixing drinks at home colored? Tremendously. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't even know if I can measure how much my opinion and palate have changed over the, the course of the last, say, five or ten years. Yeah. And, 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 and I have to credit other people for also bringing me into it. It wasn't something that I probably would have done on my own. It wasn't something that was interesting to me. And it wasn't something I was going to explore. Like, I would be much more apt to open a cookbook and explore French cooking or Italian cooking or go to Napa and have a lovely meal at French Laundry and like, oh, what are they doing with pasta? This is how you cook it. And then having that uh, translated into how a drink, because I would never think of a drink in the same way, right? The drink okay. was a simple thing and and really the point was never to enjoy its taste or uh, uh or the 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 differences as you point out between this negroni and that negroni based simply on an ingredient or how much of that ingredient you put into it it was oh it's a negroni it's mm-hmm. these three things and it's always going to be the same so being able to explore on my own and discover what I like, which you, I don't, you know, that would be an expensive proposition to go to a bar and try to figure those things out. That to, that would take a lot of drinking, and it would cost a lot of money. Would well, you be willing to do it? So you could, you pretty much need to get your start doing that in a bar. You have to be introduced to something new in a bar, because you're not going to buy a whole bottle of, say, Chinar or something like that. It's got an artichoke on the label. Why am I going to buy that? Yep. That's not going to happen. But if you get introduced to Chinar in a bar and it's something you like, then maybe at least somebody like us is going to buy a bottle of Chinar and start playing with it. I'm trying to think of how this happened for me because it, it feels like it was a, a subtle thing at first. And then I just like went in whole hog as if there was a drink that I put in my mouth and like the light came on. And I was like, oh, this is how good things can be. And this is actually how good all things can be mm-hmm. given given time and patience. But I don't I don't honestly remember someone either a bartender or a friend taking my taking me by the hand and walking me into a bar or any bar and saying yeah, <laughs> open the book here's the first chapter and then we'll we'll go from here i don't i don't recall wh- how that happened for me it's also kind of hard for me to put a finger on it but i can sort of explain it it's basically a progression it's it's a gradual improvement it's it kind of follows the industry mm you know, as you know, the whole speakeasy thing happened, and then we got tired of the speakeasies, and now just have a good bar and like make us good drinks. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I kind of followed the same route. So, like, you know, back in the '90s and the early 2000s, I was making mm-hmm. giant dry martinis, and yes, huge. Plus, even the glasses were giant. Yeah, and I still have them. They're still in my freezer. So <laughs> <laughs> you just don't fill them all the way now. Well, I hardly ever use them, but they're still there. Mm. I was doing that. I was making, you know, mojitos in pint glasses. And right. Because that, that's, how, that's how you did. And you were fancy if you did that. There's another angle on my uh, slow uh, evolution in that I come from a household where I live with an alcoholic. 
Right. And then I dated an alcoholic for a while. And I tended to think of drinking as the reason that you drink is to get drunk. Like, it doesn't really matter what it tastes like. You find one that you can stand, basically, yeah. whether that's beer or wine or vodka or something. Mm -hmm. And then you drink enough of them until you're dizzy and then you're done. That's that was the point. And so I had I probably had prejudices uh, against um, alcohol in, in general. Right. And I also and I also went through phases where it's like, oh, I like wine. That's I'm the I'm a wine guy. I'm just going to drink wine. And moving here to Northern California, that was simple. That was easy. I, I the wine here is, you know, obviously pretty good. And so so stocking wine and getting wine and exploring wine was easy, even though it's overwhelming as well. I mean, there's there's so many types oh, of wine. So overwhelming. It 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 can it can just sap your strength. And I I think I tended to think of uh, cocktails as less than. So that wine is like a connoisseur, right? You enjoy the wine. You're looking for the flavors in the wine. You're swishing it in your mouth. You're going to wineries and spitting it out. Right. Cocktails was, I can stand drinking this gin so I can be cool and have a martini mm -hmm. with my friends. I, I need to think about where the, where, the, where the light switch was that was like, I, I'm, I, I keep coming back to Dinah and Joe. Sure. Um, sure. Who I think have been into this uh, the cocktail scene for quite a while and have gone to tales of the cocktail and know bartenders and 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 have been exploring on their own and certainly you know I wrote a book, um, but I don't I don't know when I started doing I it's not invest but it is I started to invest in liquor like I've got tons of bottles now. And I'm curious about the new things, and I and I don't feel in, like I feel okay and sometimes awfully good about spending fifty dollars for a bottle of something and discovering its uniqueness and how much I enjoy it and what I can do with it, and um, and it has an absolutely nothing to do with inebriation. It's all about the flavor profiles and the history of it, and. Uh, on the other hand, they are delicious. Well, they're delicious, and also they make you tipsy, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, it is. So, yeah, for me, and I really don't know why I was in these circles, but I was – it it all happened initially for me online. I got exposure hmm. to, like, what was happening in New York and what was happening in San Francisco and even London by the Internet. Yeah. And I knew that there was – an uprising of these bars, these speakeasies or just yep. really good bars uh, where they would, you know, train the clientele. Yes. Um, As we now know. And, you know, I didn't really have that around. Well, I didn't have it when I was living in Massachusetts at all. Mm -hmm. And then in 99, when we came to Denver, it wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't something that existed. Right. And then what flipped the switch for me was the book, uh, Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails, mm -hmm. which is all pre-prohibition recipes. And did, did you buy that on your own or did somebody give you a copy or where'd that come from? I absolutely bought it on my own. So I, I was already sort of towing the line just by way of like, 
all my RSS feeds that I was subscribed to, you know, were teaching me how to make drinks and teaching, mm-hmm. showing me how to like make my simple syrups and stuff like that. So, but so you were kind of, but you were kind of exploring that those avenues on your own anyway. Yeah, like I had already developed the interest, but without firsthand experience. Like right. I, I was not going to these bars. Right. So yes, I was already sort of building myself up at least for a little while i was probably a better bartender than denver had (laughs) fair enough yeah i understand which is probably entirely wrong and i'm an asshole for saying well no but but it's about awareness right Mm -hmm. you you didn't know that it was there you knew it was in new york and london and san francisco as far as you knew it wasn't in denver yet right and it might have been there but you just didn't know it yeah and since then Denver has caught fire with the whole bartending industry and as well as the restaurant industry. I think they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. We have nationally recognized bars here and bartenders here. And I've managed to befriend lots of them. And it's so it's it's now it's just sort of a self perpetuating cycle. It's like I do something at home and it's really great and then I go to a bar and I have something that's really great and I say, hey, I did this thing at home. Have you ever tried this? And they're like, no, I'm going to try that now. And like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they touched on that on, on the podcast, how the, the, the community now emails each other and talks to each other and shares recipes, shares ingredients so that it's not these little cloisters anymore. It, it, it's bigger than that. Well, yeah, and we should mention that uh, the, the book is A Proper Drink. Yes. That they were discussing in that episode. Available on your Kindle, as that's what I do. I Kindle which, everything. Which is probably a perfect Kindle book, because it's more of a history. Mm-hmm. Than yeah, si- it is not uh, recipes and ingredients. It, it probably not- does have recipes. Actually, I know it has recipes from all the sort of bars and bartenders that it discusses, I think. Um, but that's written by uh, Robert Simonson, who writes for Imbibe and GQ and all kinds of other places. He wrote the old-fashioned book. Yes. Which, which surprisingly, for a one-topic book, is really good. Well, pl- I mean, plus listening to him talk, he's got the perfect job. He got to go all over the world and talk to bartenders and drink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, can I get that job? And I, I realize we're doing free advertising for another podcast and for books for writers who haven't talked to us but i i think it's really interesting yeah they have a different perspective i mean our perspective is rather insular mm-hmm. we are not we are not bartenders we are home bartenders you, i think you're probably you go to other people's homes and bartend i invite people I into my home and get them drunk but that's mostly how i operate as well the other thing that occurs to me is that initially it felt like a society i am not part of or a community i'm not part of in other words they were already forming themselves they were already doing something but i'm not a cocktail guy i'm not a cocktail person mm-hmm. so it it there was a uh and and i i fully admit this was probably just my inhibitions or my prejudices about like that's not me i don't belong there I'm not going to fit in. They're not going to welcome me because uh-huh. I don't know what's going on. But it's not that way at all because once you go, once you have these experiences or you find out, you start to explore the things that you like and things that you don't, then you understand that, again, it's like food. Yeah. People, there are people who love, fucking love pizza. 
right. and will go out of their way to go, you know, this guy's oven that he brought in from Italy and he's making this dough that takes him three days and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of the same thing. But that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy that three day dough pizza. Right. It's amazing. And I, and I do enjoy it. But it, but for me, it's not something I, I feel worth exploring. I'm not going to have a pizza oven giant yeah brick pizza oven installed in your tiny san francisco apartment i'm not no i'm not whereas with cocktails you can figure you can you can find the things that you like i mean as we've discussed i've probably got six or seven time types of gin in my in my uh, repertoire i've got all these bitters i've got uh and i'm i'm i mean it's it, it it is a bit of a sickness in that you know my bottles are now overflowing where I keep them, but the, it it's just it's it's fun, and it's fun to share as well. Well, yeah, because and nothing it, makes you know, conversation flow more than cocktails. <laughs> and it's all I mean, there's no well, there is probably, but I, I was I'm going to say there's no feeling like when someone comes to you and says I don't like dot 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 uh-huh. and you hand them an aviation or you hand them a penicillin or you you know right. and they drink it and like oh what is this yeah and like that's the thing you don't like yeah it's just you know prepared in a way that you like yep those were both fantastic examples by the way and then they want to come and then they want to come and like what else what else is there and i'm like oh okay so go here right. talk to this guy and tell him you you know always tell them what you like tell them what you're looking for and they'll help you explore, and you'll find more things that you'll like. I do want to circle back real quick on your sort of – you were sort of describing imposter syndrome or something like that. Like you you weren't going to approach the people in this industry because you didn't think you were of that industry. Or yes. The important thing to remember, and it crosses over to food just like you said it does, is like these are hospitality people. Hospitality. So – they're very accepting and they're very welcoming. And the ones that aren't, you can discard, honestly. But as as we also discussed, initially, many of those places weren't or didn't seem to be didn't seem hospitable. To be. Yeah, right? I, would, I would say didn't seem to be because... So, so my early experiences were not necessarily inviting. They were mm-hmm. off-putting. And it, it did take the, the you know, a, a friend to say, oh, no, no, no we're going to go here or you need to understand like sit at the bar don't meander don't right. wander talk to the bartender yeah explore your palate well, figure out what you like and like you said it came across passive aggressive because nobody that worked at the establishment would actually spell those rules out to you no but- and and it, and it wasn't because they didn't want to it was because it was really there's no time to do that for everybody walking through the door right but if you went there probably with somebody like Dinah or something like that, they would explain it to you and then you'd accept it more readily. Yes. And so that's what we're doing, right? With our podcast, we're taking people by the hand, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. And although I'm, I'm going to assume that most of the people listening to this are already like, they also have 12 gins. Yeah. I, I assume we're preaching to the choir a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're not, and if you are, if you're hesitant in some way or you're interested but worried that this isn't you're you're going to embarrass yourself or you're going to ask stupid questions or your palate isn't special enough to understand why this martini is better than that martini i i urge you to forget all of that 
And and, and the, the smartest thing I was ever told was, um, and I think I've covered this before in our dozen or so episodes, uh, I went to a whiskey tasting class and uh, they they started with um, a fairly, I don't want to say simple, but that's what comes to mind, a simple bourbon. Yes. So it's sweet and, a little and bit not sweet, very complicated. Yeah, and not Working too alcohol. Way, yeah, Strong through, with the alcohol. Yeah. Through a series of nine or ten whiskeys work up to Laphroaig. Yep. And what they said and what was important, and this was emphasized multiple times, was it's okay if you don't like something. Yes. If someone else says, oh, this tastes like blah, 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 and I really want more, and you think, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth, and this I don't want This tastes like sucking on a used Band-Aid. I don't want this. That is perfectly <laughs> all right. Everybody's palate is different, and you will find things that you like, and you will find things that you do not like. And all of that is great, but you have – well, you don't have to, but you should explore those things and figure out what are the things that I like and, and – and then once I find those uh, pathways, you know, where do they fork? What else is there along those same trails right. that I can explore? Yeah, and just going back to the, like, hospitality thing, I think I, – I actually am curious. Is, like, has – This is really good, by the way. I have to say it's gotten a lot better. The Grand Classico? Yeah. It was probably pretty strange at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's so much the industry has, you know, softened and become more accepting and more welcoming now that the clientele is trained, mostly uh -huh. trained, because I still see people go into a fancy bar and ask for like a Tito's and soda. <laughs> sure. Which is, again, fine. Yeah. But, I mean, <coughs> it, it, it's a training thing. It's like, well, we don't actually carry Tito's, but we have this vodka, which is really excellent, and I think you'll enjoy it. And it's it becomes that conversation. But just that conversation is an example. Yeah. I feel like the industry as a whole is more accommodating and more welcoming than it was during that, quote-unquote, asshole bartender phase. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think it part of that is because now they are in Denver and they're in Portland and they're in Fresno and they're in Bakersfield and they're they're everywhere. You can go I I would guess. But I wonder if it feels to, that way to everybody or if it's just because like I've been in it and I've been observing it and I know what like I know that phase existed and it's over now. No, it, it I, I I can promise you it's not that way to it's not that way to everybody and part of I mean most of that is because most a lot of people aren't interested. Right. It's not important. They're not going to explore no. it. They're happy with their six pack at home or, you know, their jug of vodka or whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Um that but my my sadness is that I feel like they're missing out in so much. Um and that I would have missed out in so much if I had not been willing to explore and listen mm -hmm. and and educate myself about how fantastic some drinks are. Yeah. Some drinks, not all drinks. That's the right. other thing. And, and then I wanted to ask you, um, how much do you think um, that brands are responsible for people uh, wanting to stay in their lane? So you mentioned Tito's, for example. Sure. How, how often do you think people, like, I used to be a Grey Goose guy. Yep. Like, I, that was, for me, that was all I would drink. Nothing else was as good as Grey Goose. I, I was briefly <laughs> a Kettle One guy. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
and and that obviously that is, that benefits the brand, right? If you're a Kettle One guy and you want Kettle One and you go into the bar and you ask for Kettle One and you don't, you're not satisfied with anything but Kettle One. Right. That's great for Kettle One. Yeah. But if the bartender's trying to say, well, we don't have Kettle One, but here's this little, you know, vodka from Sweden mm. that is crisp and clean and has some of those same notes or what you know whatever the educational right. process is are are people like do they describe themselves as a kettle one guy i'm not i'm not going outside that circle i i i mean at, at the end of the day i think you still want to get drunk so <laughs> well yeah <laughs> I, well do i do i want to get drunk i don't I, well this is me i don't want to get drunk like i don't want to stumble out of a place Feeling well, I don't mean that drunk. I mean intoxicated, some level of as intoxication. we are now. Yes, the, the 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 comfortable sort of level where you you've had a couple of drinks, right? A uh, couple of few ounces in our case. We built up a tolerance. I would be really good at throwing darts right now. Like this is the perfect. Do you, do you ever play darts or pool or anything? You have to have a. I don't. You have uh, to, but you have to have a certain level of buzz. Before yeah. you're actually good. Well, I'm. I don't talk, so <laughs> I kind of need a certain level of buzz to even like talk to stra- talk to bartenders or talk to strangers. Yeah, if I'm, it helps if I do have that wingman or, in Dinah's case, wingwoman, mm-hmm. and she's very gregarious and she's very people oriented, and will talk to anyone. And I always feel like um, I. Dinah says I need- she's ready to come on the podcast. By the way. Well, we we need to invite her. We'll we'll bring her on. She's actually in New York, as it happens this weekend, and I'm sure she's in, enjoying several really great bars mm-hmm. uh, that probably appeared on the 50 best bars list. Probably so. And we will bring her in because she's talking about knowledge. Uh, she uh, actually just helped with a new. I'll I'll do another advertisement for someone else that I'm not <laughs> even involved with. <laughs> I have to look at my phone though because I can't remember what it's called. But she just helped write some um, background information for a new cocktail app called elemental oh Ele- elemental cocktails i didn't realize she was involved with that i saw you tweet about it yes she she did all of the research on the history of the cocktails so and they're they'll be expanding it further um it's a really nice looking app it's, it's lovely i think and it does it it it, it does a nice counterbalance between giving you ingredients about your and it's mood based mm. so it's like you know what what am i feeling like now sure okay and then when it when it presents you with the options it also tells you a little bit of background about oh here's where this cocktail came from here's who made it originally here's its history and 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 i i, I think it's a lovely app myself that's great i like it need more uh, more cocktail apps what are there ones that you rely on that you recommend <laughs> um i only have a you i rely on a my sort of repertoire of drinks mm-hmm. what you so you're keeping track on your own like note patty thing well i i do have actually a moleskine <laughs> address Say that book. again moleskine oh, oh nice <laughs> so it's the address book though so it has the letter tabs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i keep my favorite drinks in that it's a little red one so it is easy to spot in the kitchen. You're, you're scribbling. You're literally writing them all down. I did. Oh, so now is, is it? So you? I haven't been doing it so much. Mostly, be, right. mostly because I'm settled into a routine. 
and I can make a Negroni, I can make a Manhattan, I can make a Martini, I can make a Boulevardier, that's probably... That, <laughs> that's enough. That's, prob- that's probably my main repertoire, is those yeah. four. I can make those. Mm-hmm. Whiskey Sour. Uh, I can make that, but I don't. Like, that's not in my normal, okay. regular... See, see that, that, I was thinking that today... Whiskey Sour is is one of the ones that's in my repertoire, whereas the bar, Boulevardier, not. And I do I do variations, and that I want to talk about the most recent episode of the Speakeasy, free mm-hmm. advertising for another podcast. It's a very small category, the co- cocktail podcast. So I, I feel like we should be friends, not enemies. Sure. Um, the most recent episode of the Speakeasy covered Kara Newman's. Uh, Shakespeare Sip is the name of her book. More than 50 effortless cocktails made in equal parts. So obviously a Negroni is the like king of equal parts cocktails. Yeah. Yep. She's done her research and found 50 equal parts cocktails. And she actually has the book broken up into like two parts, three parts, four parts, and then five or more, I think, is the last category. Mm-hmm. There's your jets. Yep. Um, and like Souther Teague was saying that he actually has like an eight part equal parts cocktail. That's too much. It's all Amari though. So I'm actually super no. interested in it. No. He's ma- he, I... No, he's making a different Amari is all he's doing. Like he's, I, he's, he's I blending in Amari. It's like blended I would, scotch. I would try. That's a lot of Amari. Well, for home bartenders, that's a lot of Amari to keep around for one thing. Number two. I probably have a half a dozen. Well, but these, I mean, so, for example, uh, one of the drinks we might have done today was the penicillin, which I love. Yes. But I think that the penicillin changes if you're not using grouse. Like, they, they, there are specific whiskeys that you need to use to make that. Yeah. Which I, and then you need honey syrup and... It's a, it is a fabulous drink. But just so happens I have honey syrup. I don't have any of those things. But and I was like, well, I could. Well, uh, I mean, like I get red breast, and I could, you know, whatever. Word, word to the listener is like, any syrup is really easy to make. Just really easy to make, even in small quantities. You can make a little jelly jar of ginger syrup in no time. And okay. All, all it costs you is like the fifty cents to buy the nub of ginger. And, and the jar. Probably <laughs> probably the jar. You can reuse something in the house. You don't uh, you don't sure. hoard containers like I do? I don't. You know, I'm very bad about that. I should. I mean I love jams and jellies and I always have the little I do have those little jars. Um but I just I just recycle <laughs> them. When I'm done right. with them they're just gone. Anyway. Syrup syrups shouldn't scare you away. But yeah, I think you're right. The penicillin is very specific. It expects you to use grouse. It, it expects you to use Lafroig. And I think even... I mean, I, I don't want to shit on those recipes. I'm just saying... No, 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 no. Okay. But you can substitute. And that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's actually what I want to talk about with this book, the Shakespeare Sip, which I always remember in a different order every time. Souther Teague went on a small tangent on how bartenders use templates. And we've talked about this. I know, mm. I know at least I've talked about this. It's like, we probably talked about it a lot in the Negroni episode because I will substitute a like for like in a Negroni because you have three categories. You have a spirit, 
you have a bitter liqueur and you have a fortified wine. So a spirit can be gin if you're talking about a Negroni. Mm -hmm. it, it can be bourbon or rye if you're talking about a Boulevardier, mm -hmm. etc. I've made something like a Negroni with Aquavit as my spirit. How did that turn out, out of curiosity? It was actually wonderful. It was wow. great. Wow. Okay. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, bitters. You can stick with the aperitivos, Campari, Contrato. Like, I just got the Bruto Americano from St. George. Mm -hmm. That's oh, how is that? Super weird. You should try it. I was really, I was generally curious about it because they do really cool things, but they all, they always take a left turn. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it has some similarities with the Leopold's Apertivo. Mm -hmm. Which I love. Which is very funky. Very mm -hmm. funky. Um, but, uh, so, like, take the Leopold Apertivo and, like, put a little bit of vanilla and baking spice Whoa. in there. Okay. That that's what the Bruto is like. I like it a lot. It's very strange. Um, I like it more as a substitute in a Boulevardier than I like it as a substitute in a Negroni. Okay. Are we going to do a third so you can do that? Maybe. Uh, I just need to finish my point about templates and stuff. Um, so Souther covered this, and I was like, I was actually like excited in my car on my commute because like this is. What I tell people all the time, it's like once you learn the patterns, you can substitute and you can play. Yeah. And if it doesn't quite work out verbatim, like if something doesn't work as well as a one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one, then you just sort of skew, you turn the dials a little bit. Yes. And you find the balance, which is why I usually make, make my boulevardiers with an extra half ounce of whiskey rather than just one-to-one-to-one. -to -one -to -one. Mm -hmm. He was talking about that and he's like... I actually consider a martini a Manhattan because Manhattans came first. Yeah. And it's exactly the same pattern. It's a spirit. It's a fortified wine. It's bitters. Yes. So a martini is a Manhattan. Boulevardier is somewhere in between. It's almost a Manhattan. It's mostly a Negroni. Has anyone charted these out, by the way? So that this is this, and but substitute that for that. and Oh, and I want to tell you, that poster that you linked to today? Oh, the, the uh, music? Yes, I bought it. That is beautiful. Oh, did you actually buy it? I totally bought it. I might need to buy it, too. It is gorgeous. I mean, it looks gorgeous online, but it's really nice. Right. And so, did you see the other one? So there's a pair. I didn't see the other one. So the the one that you linked to was uh, Punk. The other one is Electronica. Oh. So Craftwork and... Uh, Eno and wow, and so the one that you did, I think, is gold on green, and the other one is silver on blue. Oh, neat! Yeah, was was the uh... and they're so, both that circuit pattern. Oh, they're, 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 that that was that was my question. Was, yeah, yeah. was it still like a circuit board sort of yeah. motif? They're, they would go well together on your on your bar wall or that's, den wall or some wall amazing. that you have. I have so much artwork in my house. It's... I know. I'm running out of wall space, frankly. Yeah. But it's, it's, those were beautiful. I couldn't It's kind of my thing. I like artwork. Yeah. It's surprising. Sorry, I it's... interrupted. No, actually, I was done. It's Okay. The, the <laughs> templates thing is very important. And if you're interested in you know, making drinks at home and maybe even 
doing the deep dive that we've done and getting different bottles and comparing what the effect of this gin, like four pillars. Let's talk about four pillars because that shit was amazing. Oh my God. So good. And you already drank yours. Yours is gone. Well, I, I mean... I'm, can you get it locally? No. I can only I, order it from K&L. Uh, so Cask locally is also carrying it. I'm, I, I would wager there probably is somewhere you can get it locally. I think they're spreading. I would know if they showed up. I've, I've, I've talked to my purveyors and told them that it's excellent and they should get it. Yes. Um, and the Navy, Navy, like I said, the Navy strength is also excellent. I don't generally like Navy strength gins because I think that it overwhelms why I like gin. Huh. But, but they did something. They I, worked it. I really I like the did. Leopold's Navy strength. I tend to, I, it, to me, it feels like I'm losing. Gin is like a poem. And the Navy strength to me is like it's losing the 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 elegance of the words and it's just the theme mm. it's, it's just like you know bang, bang it's liquor see I, I, well i don't get that from leopold's specifically i admit i haven't tried leopold but the other like the 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 uh, perry's tot and yeah. some other the uh, mm, but the but the four the four pillars i think the I navy like. strength Plymouth is also pretty good. And for those, I, there probably nobody, but for those at home, Navy Strength just means it's a higher proof gin. Yeah, it's it's generally about a hundred proof. It's, it's yes, a, and the, and the Four Pillars is a hundred and fourteen. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little warm. Yeah, I, I think Leopold's is over a hundred as well, but it, it doesn't seem that like it doesn't just hit you over the head with the alcohol. It's still a gin. This, that, exactly. That's what this does. When you when you sip it on its own, um, there is a lot of heat, as you would imagine, with that yeah. much alcohol in there. But once that dissipates on your tongue, and then you get all of the other, it it. I think it's the same recipe as the regular four pillars, just with the alcohol pumped up. Uh-huh. So it, it's just it's a gorgeous gin. And yeah. uh, Four Pillars is Australian, if we didn't mention that. Four Pillars is from Australia. That's why it's so hard to get in the States or becoming less and less hard to get, hopefully. And they do a Negroni gin. They do, which we is not imported. We can't get it. We actually yeah. reached out to some people. <laughs> yes. We're, we're, this is the kind of people we are. Oh, there's a new gin? Ah! Do you want to do it? Are you, how are you on your drink? My drink is empty. You want to you want to go one more? Uh, I well, I I did I sort of wanted to talk about the top fifty bars. Oh yeah, let's do that. All right, new drink. All right. I will say I got the uh, raised eyebrow and the. It's been an hour and fifteen minutes already. <laughs> See, I'm not married. I don't give a shit. Uh, so this one is going to be super weird, even though the last one was also weird. So I have this, so I dug into the back of, of my fridge, and I have this bottle that I forgot I bought, which is uh, by The Bitter Truth, and it's called EXR, which stands for Elixir. Uh-huh. It is a, it is a German-type bitter, and it's got a name that I've already forgotten what it is, but it's it's very dark. I mean, I don't know. Can you see underneath the... It's yeah. almost bl- it's almost black. It's super dark. Mm. 
I. Mm. <laughs> yes, no? No, it's a yes. Okay. But I can't even. I'm not sure how I can describe it to you. It's almost chocolatey, but also licorice So is it in the neighbor neighborhood of, say, like an Underberg? Or... No, no, it doesn't go that far. So it's, not uh, Alpine-y? Not at all. No. Okay. Uh, and then this is Noah, so it's Noah's Mills bourbon. Oh. And, and the EXR, and I think I went, yes, I went back to the uh, uh, Antica. Interesting. It is interesting. EXR is firmly rooted in the traditions of both classic sweet vermouth and alpine digestive tonics. So it's in between a vermouth and like an Amaro. Yeah. So, so maybe that's why it's sort of, so, sort of herbally chocolatey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It embodies the caramel sweetness of port and the bitter flavors of a classic Italian Amaro. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this is probably isn't... A, I think we've veered far enough away that this is no longer a Boulevardier. Not at all, but it's following the <laughs> template of a Boulevardier. To your point, it is, in fact... Yeah. Oh, you know what else? It's uh, walnut. That's what I'm getting. Oh, interesting. I love funky nut flavors. I had a drink last night. Um, you might you might want to find this. It's really interesting. My, my wife and I had our big sort of anniversary dinner last night. At a restaurant called Basta in Boulder, it's a wood-fired oven place. Mm-hmm. They have this giant Italian wood-fired oven that was like imported and built in place. The rest of the restaurant is like one hot plate and a sous vide setup. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's it's great, and we we sat at the counter right in front of the mouth of the oven, and we we know the people there and got to chat with all the cooks and the bartender, and he made us a dessert drink with, basically, it's a grappa made of almond fruits. So you know how almonds have this green fruit around the nut? Have you ever seen a fresh almond? I have not. You should look it up on the internet. There's, It's a big, almost pear-shaped and sized green fruit, and in the hmm. center is the almond nut. So it's a grappa that's made with that, and it actually, the fruit. Well, and the nuts. Okay. Like the whole thing goes in, as far as I could tell. All right. So it's got a really interesting sort because it's so there's the grappa itself, which we didn't try straight. But then in the cocktail, you know, he added some maraschino and stuff like that to sweeten it. And Luxardo maraschino also has its sort of funky back note to it. Yeah. Yeah. The cocktail tasted a lot like um, marzipan, the mm-hmm. almond paste candy. And it was really just interesting and fantastic and, like, perfect for dessert. Huh. And did, was this on the menu or is it something he made for you? I think it was something – it's something he's been making, but the dessert was a chocolate sorbet. All right. Uh, made with this artisanal chocolate uh, made in Boulder by uh, Fortuna Chocolates. So that – and he's right. It's like with whatever vermouth he uses and whatever – with the maraschino and all that stuff, the, the almond grappa picks up chocolatey notes, chocolate yeah. and vanilla notes and all that stuff. And it's like, it was a great pairing. It was a perfect match, really. That sounds nice and awesome. So you're – I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that you are always open to somebody saying, can I try this on you? Oh, absolutely. And I hardly ever order at bars. When I know the bartender, I, I, I just say, make me something. 
Always? Always? I, well, I mean, if they're busy or something, I, I will yeah. order specifically. But if they have the time and if they have the inclination, I'll, I'll just be like, what do I want? Yeah, yeah. And I I do find that I've discovered a lot of my favorites that way as well. I was introduced to the uh, – see, we're two cocktails in and my brain is now slowing <laughs> down. It's an old – cocktail it's like the see this is me at the beginning of the show trying to remember the old cocktail i had at union lodge number one this is a classic is it a saratoga shit no no me for me oh oh see (laughs) you you remembered i knew you would oh yes see this is how your brain works and now i have to think of mine so Saratoga is brandy, whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters. The one I am thinking of, it's not a, it's not a, the last word. Oh. The last word. Yes. So I, w- I was at a restaurant that's no longer around, which is sad because it was really good, but it was in a horrible part of the city where no one would go um, because they, it's like, it was, it's like in a, a new condo building lobby. Right. And uh, I did the bartender's choice, and they had a great bar. Man, I'm sad they're gone. And they introduced me to the last word. I'd, n- I'd never, I'd never had it before. Which is a great drink. That's gin, chartreuse, lemon juice, mm. and a touch of absinthe. Is it uh, lemon or lime? Gin, chartreuse, maraschino, a little and fresh maraschino. lime, lime, and fresh lime. No absinthe. No absinthe. Okay. You're thinking of the the dead. Last the dead man number two the corpse corpse survivor <laughs> corpse survivor yes yeah yeah and I think in fact I had said something like a corpse survivor but not a corpse survivor and they gave me the last word which is an eye opener because chartreuse is bonkers it is it's really hard to work with it is so strong and overwhelming it's 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 super sweet kind of grassy very um, grassy so green especially the green chartreuse yes um. But I think they they really did figure out how to balance it out with the lime and everything in, in the last word. It's the last word is one of the most surprisingly perfectly balanced drinks. Like yes, if you hear the ingredients and you know the ingredients, you're you're suspect when you when you try it. But it's perfectly balanced. It's really well done. It's a great drink, which brings me back to uh, shake, stir, sip. Yeah. The Equal Parts book. Mm-hmm. Along the lines of the Ferrari, our favorite mm-hmm. shot, yep. that book features a drink, which she brought in a bottle of a batch of this drink to the studio, and Souther Teague just fucking loved it. So it's called a disco ball. And she... Th- <laughs> okay. That she, seems really gay. I'm all right. She found it in, I think, Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Like not right. so, not somewhere you would expect, but this bar in whatever town, Florida, pretty sure Jacksonville, had it on tap. And it's meant to be a shot, but it's equal parts. Green chartreuse, yellow chartreuse, mezcal. I can't even imagine what that tastes like. I can't either. I haven't had one yet. 
but I am going to either... I'm probably going to make a bartender make it for me because a full bottle of green chartreuse is $65. And But they do make those little bottles. They make the half bottles. Which is, I so appreciate them for doing that. But those are still $32. And also, I bring back Dinah again. When she was at, it was like a, it was some sort of, thing that she and Joe went to some support the arts thing and they had a silent auction. She has a bottle of that super expensive chartreuse. Oh, the VSOP? No- nobody bid on it. What? And they didn't they didn't think they were gonna win and they got it. So she's got some of that. At like a bargain price? Yes. They like bid like uh forty bucks, whatever. So and is they that got it. is that more akin to the green or the yellow, do you know? I think it's more to, I think it's towards the yellow. Okay. So let's talk about the 50 best. Let's do. Do you know how this, are these picked by bartenders or what is the who who's judging the 50 best bars? And by the way, this is in the world. Yeah, like, this is worldwide. The, think of your favorite bar. It's not on this list. I'm going to guarantee you. It's probably not on this list. So, Unless you live in New York. Or London. The the group that publishes this list is called Drinks International. So who the fuck knows who they are? All right. But is it but is it like do people pay attention? Well, obviously people pay attention. We're paying attention, so Well and yeah. Um all the bartenders that I'm Facebook friends and stuff reposted the announcement and stuff. So, so it right. it does matter to them. Probably because it's the only like there's that restaurant list that's published every year that's not Michelin, mm-hmm. but it's it's also like the top hundred and it's some like the Beard Foundation or somebody. It's not even them. It's it's like some other group in London that that's picking mm. the top. Like so so the Beard so Beard gives awards. Yes, and Michelin awards stars based on the Mich- They have a series of reviewers who just go around and that's all they do. Right. And then the the top 100 restaurants, I think is it's like Perrier or somebody sponsored it. And I again, I don't know what it's based on, but be, because either because it either because it's got a sponsor or because like the restaurants who are involved are all like, yeah, we're number two. Right. It it gets some weight, and I'm I'm going to assume that this is the same way in that it's it's probably arbitrary. Uh, I mean, I. How many of these bars have you been to? Zero. I've been to. Looking down, looking down. Well, the problem. You've been is, to ABV. That's all. I have there. been to ABV and Smuggler's Co. Like the ones in San Francisco. I probably the Trick Dog. Trick I've Dog. Been to as well. Yeah. Uh, there, there are at least four or five uh, in San Francisco, right? And yeah, and I, I can say again. According to my friend Dinah, who travels much more frequently than I do, um, the ones that they mentioned in New York. So Attaboy is what honey, uh, milk and honey used to be, right? It's in their space. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So when he left, he handed it over to the bartenders who were there and they just renamed it. Mm-hmm. And they've carried on. So, I, you know, that makes sense to me. Um, and I have heard... From Dinah, Nightjar in London is one of her very favorites. They they do crazy, insane presentations of your drink. Like it's it's in a shell with a book attached, and 
there's incense and like it's, <laughs> yeah it's like a, it's like this it's kind of like aviary i guess in that sense and like everything is a is a production like they've thought about this for three weeks and they perfected it and here you go well so just real quickly let's talk about the trends of this list london right. is deep in this list super, super london just killed this list in I, fact in the top 10 they're they're half of the top 10 yeah they are half of the top 10 i think there are 10 in the top 50 yeah. from london I, I, did, I did the math earlier, but I think I remember there were 10. And then the closest second place was New York, which I yes. think was way lower, like six or seven. And it, and it is, I mean, it is the, the kind of places that you would expect to be here, right? It, it's people well, and the- it's important to recognize the number one spot belongs to the Dead Rabbit in New York City. Everything I've heard about the Dead Rabbit secondhand from people yep. who have actually been there yeah is the best yeah they're doing such a good job of sort of fetishizing bars mm-hmm. like their menus are so immaculate and so collectible that they actually sell them after after they change menus they sell their leftover menus well that, so that's what i wonder that about trick dog because they're they're famous for quarterly they have a they they change the theme of the drinks that they're offering. Right. And the and the menu is always like I don't know what the current one was, but in the past it's been a map or it's been a series of 45 records in a folder. The last one I horoscope. The last one I saw was like the CIA redacted files and stuff. Yeah, alien visitations and yeah. things like that. So they're very thoughtful about what they're presenting and mm-hmm. it's fun to go there. We have a new place in Denver. That is, unfortunately, a speakeasy. <laughs> uh, but it it's part and parcel with a new hotel, like a boutique hotel that opened in town. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the bar is called Boys and Girls Club, and their menus look amazing. Mm. Like sort of almost Soviet propaganda style, and I'm kind of into it. And the space... But, but, but how are the drinks? I don't know. Because it's it's in a part of town that I don't usually go. Okay. So. Yeah, I so I'm wondering um, again what what is the basis? Uh, how do they? How are they weighing? For example, Smuggler's Cove is number twenty nine on this list of fifty. Mm-hmm. So right around in the middle, it's 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 usually listed as one of the best bars in the country. Um, it it's literally three blocks from where I live. Um, I, I admit that I don't always understand why it keeps it. They don't change their menu They're You know, they, they are a pirates of the Caribbean rum based bar. They're doing tiki drinks. Yeah. They're um, a tiki bar. They're doing the, the, the standard tiki drinks. They're doing three dots in a dash. They're doing, they do interpretations. I just got their book. I just got mm-hmm. their book, which is gorgeous. Yep. And I I actually really have a strong appreciation for a good tiki recipe book, especially with a little bit of history mixed in. Yep. So, and I love Martin Kate. Yep. I, I've I've only met him a couple of times, but he's he's super friendly. He knows what he's talking about. He's very passionate about what he's doing, but not in the sense that he. I mean, he. Uh, 
kind of to our point, he wants to involve people. He wants to get them excited about the same things that he's excited Absolutely, about. yeah. He's trying to spread the virus of Tiki. Yes. And he was actually on Speakeasy three episodes ago with his wife. And it was, mm-hmm. it was oh, a good I episode. It was She's a good, great. It was a good She's episode. Better. She's better than he is, frankly. She's very sweet. Pro tip, that's always the case. Mm. But having been to Whitechapel versus Smuggler's Cove, I don't I I literally don't know why Smuggler's Cove is on the list and Whitechapel is not. Well, I mean Whitechapel speaks exactly to your wants and needs. Whereas Smuggler's yes. Cove may not. That well, admittedly so. Uh, but they're they're of the same school in that when you walk into them, it's an it's the environment pulls you in. It's it's all of a it's all of a piece, um, and they they're they're both trying to educate you as well. So if you go to smugglers and you don't know a lot about rum, right? You could you can join their club and you can sample the rums and you get. Oh, a little... so really, Whitechapel is the same model just applied to gin. Yes. It is the same, exactly. Which, so which naturally calls for different ambiance. Yes, but I, but for whatever reason, I think Whitechapel is more successful than Smuggler's Cove. Maybe because I mean, I just think it appeals to you more. They had a well, they had a bigger budget. Having succeeded, oh with Smuggler's sure, Cove, yeah, absolutely. You when you come here, you. you <laughs> You have to go to Whitechapel. It, it is it is crazy beautiful. You just it's like no. I will get destroyed at Whitechapel. It'll be it is, great. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but admittedly, I don't know most of the places. I've never even heard of most of the places on this list. Well, so yeah, and shout out to Singapore. Yeah, like three bars in the top twenty-five, the top half of the list. Three bars are in Singapore. And yes. And Australia's doing pretty good, I think. I don't tend to think of Australia, but I mean, we love that gin, so they're they obviously doing things to bring themselves up, but... Um, where, where, what's in Australia? Uh, they have Black Pearl in Melbourne at number 22. They've uh-huh. got... Um, I just saw another one. Uh, Bulletin Place in Sydney. I think Black Pearl is the uh, bar that Four Pillars partnered with for the Negroni gin. Oh, at number 12, the Baxter Inn, also in Sydney. Um, And I don't know these places. I I don't either. I'm not really keeping up with what's going on down there. I'm sorry, Australia. Tell me. Tell me what's going on. I I could easily be corrected, but I think Black Pearl is where the Negroni gin comes from, from Four Pillars. Oh, they they work with them? Yeah. And Athens at number nine, the Clumsies. Yeah, right. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't really keep on top of these things, but it, it's a really interesting list. Yeah, I like this list. If nothing more than to like give me the exposure for what else is out there, because we have uh, Stockholm and Oslo, and we have all these places in this list. We have two bars in Athens. Who knew? But it's great, right? I, I wouldn't expect a cocktail bar in Athens. I really wouldn't. I think it goes back to our point that it's you can now go to basically any city, anywhere, and find a great bar. 
you're not necessarily going to be limited. As I said, you can go to my hometown in Bakersfield, California, <laughs> which is redneck country. Right. There is nothing happening there. It's oil derricks and agriculture. And you can go downtown to, uh, oh, God damn it. I want to say the Alamo, but that's not correct. But there is a hotel downtown that's been there forever, and they have this kind of, it's not a speakeasy. It probably was at one point, like literally a speakeasy. Right. But there's, there is a, a clawfoot bathtub above the bar where they used to have women who would literally be there. <laughs> Bathing? The yes. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, come on in and have a drink, and there's a woman above the bar in a bathtub. Sure. Okay. And the bathtub's still there. The lady is not. All right. But I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a friend of mine recently moved to Berlin from Boulder, mm -hmm. and she was just, like, really getting into going out to the cocktail bars in Boulder and sometimes Denver, but mostly in Boulder. And she went to Berlin and was like, there are no cocktail bars here. Like, it's just beer and bad jazz. Hmm. I was like, well, time out. Let me do some <laughs> internet research. Yeah. And I sent her like a list of three different or five different cocktail bars. And one of them was like right around the corner from her apartment. So she became a regular. Nice. <laughs> well, you pointed out, I think last time, how Barcelona is doing gin tonic mm -hmm. in Spain. And when I was in Barcelona, you could not find a cocktail bar to save your fucking life. Right. Everything was wine. Wine everywhere. Wine everywhere. Wine and tapas. Yes, which I love. Yeah. But I wanted a martini one night, and I had to make it. Like, they brought me the ingredients. <laughs> I'm like, how do you, what is a martini, what are you doing? How do? How do you do it? And I made it terrible. It was terrible, uh, I have to admit. But, you know, it, it illustrated to me, like, how things really have changed and fairly rapidly in that there is a good cocktail bar to be had no matter where you go now. Yes. Which is great. Yes. Um, par exemple. Ooh. <laughs> You're turning me on right now. Thanks. Uh, I, I work for a company out of Santa Barbara. I traveled to Santa Barbara, which is very much wine and beer. Mm -hmm. Very yep. much wine and beer. And a beautiful city. It is gorgeous. It's right on the water. It's amazing. Um, old but don't move there because you can't afford it. Well, you can't afford it, and it's also weirdly insulated from everything else. There's one way in and one way out. Yeah, and they have a no-growth initiative, so you can't even build there. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, great town. One sort of actual cocktail bar. It's called The Good Lion. And I basically lived there the week I was in Santa Barbara to the point where by day three, hey, Jake's here. Yay. <laughs> but that's good. I made a lot of friends. And you found it. Again, I, I am convinced no matter where you go, you will find a good cocktail bar. You'll find somebody who is passionate about making good cocktails. They will appreciate that you walked in the door. Yes. And if you know something they don't, they'll want to learn. There, so there, my... there, there is a bar in Puerto Rico on this list. Right, exactly. And Puerto Rico is beautiful. If you've never been, you should go. So my story would be, and this, this was 
quite a few years ago, and it's in Portland, so I don't even know if it counts because Portland is like mini San Francisco to me. But there was a there was actually a... it feels a lot more to like Denver to me. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. I think that's fair. Um, but there was a little restaurant bar near my hotel called Little Bird. Yep. And I went there and uh, w- with my friend, uh, and we were there for business or something. I don't even remember why we were there. And she and I were both cocktail nerds, as it were. So we, we went for, it was late night. Yep. And we got like the charcuterie plat, platter. Of course. And we, we wanted some drinks with it. And the bartender who was on staff was not the, like, not their star bartender, right? It was the late night bartender. And so um, I was trying to talk to the waitress about what what I what I wanted or what we were looking for, and she didn't really get it, right? Because we were we were kind of asking for bartender's choice to a waitress, and that doesn't really work. Yeah, no, yeah. So I walked up to the bartender and I said, "We're interested to see what you what you do. What do you like? We're having the charcuterie plate. What do you recommend?" And he literally had a binder that he. Like he lived with his roommate and he wanted to be a bartender and he had a binder of recipes and he's like, well, I've been working on stuff and, and I would, would, do you want to, do you want to try it? And I'm like, well, yes, that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm here. So probably two years later, I'm back in Portland. He's now the main bartender and he's turned his binder into this, uh, he's taken a, a Hemingway novel and he's inserted his recipes into the book. So that when you're flipping through, you will eventually come to one of his recipes that's based on something that's happening in Old Man in the Sea. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, a Mai Tai with a, like the, you know, he he just he, he'd gone through and perfected all the things like I this is not the right ingredient. It's this ingredient with this much in it. That's so funny because the good lion, when you go to the men's room, I, I want to say it was also Hemingway, but they. Or it could be like Catcher in the Rye or something, but like there was some literary theme going on. Yeah, and I don't know if that's where the Good Lion name comes from or what, but like they had that theme also, and it was. <laughs> but I but I loved that, and I wanted to take credit for it. That I went back two years later, and he had, you know, come into his own, and he right. had he he found himself or something, and the and the book. So if you looked at the menu at the restaurant, they had their rundown of cocktails. But if you asked him, he would present his book to you. <laughs> and then you could flip through and go, ah, I want this. or I want... And, then you... and then my friends were there, and I was passing the book along. I'm like, no, the menu is the menu. That's for ordinary people. This is for us. This is special. This... Yeah. Let's do and this. The, and, the, and the drinks were great. The drinks were wonderful. And that's Little Bird in Portland. Yep. I don't know if he's still there. He may not be. But. Portland is also Morgenthaler's town, so mm-hmm. check the box. There is a lot going on there. Yeah, they're not re- represented on the fifty, are they? No. <laughs> nope. But then neither is Denver. Sorry, Jake. You got to work your game up, right? Tales of the Cocktail recognizes Denver, so you're 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 due. Do what you can. I don't know who's like I said. I don't know who's picking the shit, but. I actually like my places not to be too popular, <laughs> just so I can go. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Living in San Francisco, god damn it. 
a lot of a lot of times you're waiting in a line just to get it into the fucking place and eat, you know i just want to drink yeah all right you were calling it you're you're calling it i'm calling it all right i have to go cook a giant steak for my lovely wife that sounds amazing i'm gonna have fried chicken good job where are no, you, right where are you getting that from uh i have chicken that i'm gonna fry oh you're gonna fry chicken i am gonna fry chicken and Excellent. i use and uh, my secret, which is not a secret, is that I use Old Bay, yeah, as, as the seasoning. Fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the it's got a bite salty. It's it's amazing, and this the celery. Yeah, it's good. I I, 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 just, I just love that you're frying chicken for yourself. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I am worth it for God's sakes. How much how much leftovers do you make? Because cold oh. fried chicken is delicious. Yeah, yeah. And I only do thighs. Oh, good job. Good <laughs> job. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Those breasts? Who does breasts? Psst. Nobody. And drumsticks are stupid. It's all tendons and weird shit. Yeah, drumsticks are very stupid. It's about the thigh. Yep. Unless you're at Hotel Utah, and then it's about the wings, which are awesome. All right. Bye, Jay. <laughs> I love you, Lance. Thanks. Love you, too.